invite you to take your copy of scripture and turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we are going to be looking at verses 10 through 12 this morning, Matthew chapter 5, and if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, uh, you'll find our passage on page 809 and 810, 809 and 810. As we have done uh, throughout this series, I'll begin reading for us in verse 1, and I will read through to verse 12. Uh, But then we will focus uh, this morning on verses 10 through 12. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Well, as many of you know, our mission as a church is to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. And over a three-year period, we are Uh, giving special attention to our mission statement, and we're doing so by focusing on specific elements of our mission statement in six-month increments, and you can uh, see the image there on the screen or um, on the wall. And so in 2021, we focused on the themes of the glory of God and the gospel. And this year, right now currently, we're focusing on making disciples, and then later on in the year, we will focus on enjoying the gospel. And then in 2023, our plan is to focus on living the gospel and then proclaiming the gospel. Currently, as we're focusing on the theme of discipleship, we are looking at the Beatitudes of Jesus. And we're looking at these Beatitudes kind of through the prism of discipleship and asking the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does a disciple of Jesus look like? And this week, we come to the last of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, it's worth noting that there are several things that are unique about the Beatitude. One, it's the longest of the Beatitudes. Uh, It's also the only Beatitude that has a command, then followed by an explanation. It's the only Beatitude as well that initially begins in the third person, but then is repeated in the second person, making it personal. So you see there in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted, but then in verse 11, It moves to the second person and makes it personal. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and so forth. So there's a number of things that are unique about this beatitude. But as we come to the last of the beatitudes, we also should note that, that this beatitude is not what we would expect. So consider what we have learned so far about the citizens of Jesus' kingdom, about the disciples of Jesus. In the Beatitudes, we have learned that they are poor in spirit. We have learned that they are meek. We have learned that they hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
We have learned that they are merciful and pure in heart. We have learned that they are peacemakers. And now as we're coming to the end of the Beatitudes and we're about to wrap them up, you would think that these are the folks that this world would embrace and love. In many ways, they are just the kind of people this world needs. And we know that many in this world, even non-Christians, celebrate the Beatitudes. They might be inclined to say things that this teaching is strangely attractive. This teaching is gripping and profound. But at the same time, many who would celebrate Beatitudes would do so until they actually meet someone who is characterized by the Beatitudes. Then, tragically, they might find the values of the kingdom of God to be offensive, too demanding, terribly unnatural or unappealing. And as a result, oppose those who actually embody the Beatitudes. You see, as Jesus concludes the Beatitudes here, He concludes them by revealing that the people that the world needs most are the people that the world is most likely to not appreciate and to resist. Jesus is saying here in our text that those who are characterized by the Beatitudes are those who are not appreciated. They are those those who are resisted by the world. They are those who are opposed. And yet, at the same time, He wants us to know that in the eyes of God, they are blessed. They are blessed in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is inviting us to be such people and to know such blessing. So as we look at this last beatitude this morning, I want us to look at this beatitude and ask five questions about the relationship between the disciple of Jesus and persecution. The relationship between the disciple of Jesus and persecution. And the first question is this. One, will disciples of Jesus be persecuted? Will disciples of Jesus be persecuted? Now let me just say, the short answer is yes. Disciples of Jesus will be persecuted. But let me show you this in the passage. First of all, notice that the Beatitudes begin and they end with the same promise. So if you go back to the first Beatitude in verse 6, we read these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's the promise, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then go down to verse 10, which is the last beatitude that we're looking at this morning. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Here it is. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you have the promise is the same in verse 6 with the first beatitude and also in verse 10 with the last beatitude. And what this is, is referred to as, as, it's referred to as an inclusio. And, and, and basically what's happening here is that each promise, the one in verse 6 and in verse 10, serves as a bookend, framing all of the Beatitudes, inviting us to see all of the Beatitudes as one whole unit. All of them are included together as one. So what Jesus is teaching us here by framing the Beatitudes in this way is that a citizen of his kingdom is characterized not by just one or two of the Beatitudes, but by all of them. So a citizen of the kingdom is not just pure in heart, but say they don't have any poverty of spirit or they don't hunger or thirst for righteousness. No, that's not the case. Jesus is framing the Beatitudes in such a way as to communicate that a citizen of the kingdom, a disciple of Jesus, should be characterized by all of the Beatitudes. And no doubt we are all sinners and flawed in so many ways, and so we might possess some of the Beatitudes in more measure than others. 
But if we are a follower of Jesus, each of the Beatitudes at some level should be included in, should be uh, characterized in our lives, including persecution. So we should expect a disciple of Jesus to be, yes, poor in spirit and meek and, and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we should also, at some level, expect for the disciple of Jesus to experience opposition, even persecution for their commitment to faithfully follow Jesus. So we see the way that the Beatitudes are framed to communicate that, yes, a disciple of Jesus will be persecuted because a disciple of Jesus is to be characterized by all of the Beatitudes. But then notice also, this is the second thing that we see here in terms of answering this question, yes. Notice in verse 11, Jesus says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now notice, Jesus does not say, blessed are you if others revile you and persecute you and so forth. There's a very good Greek word for if, it's a, and Jesus could have used that word, but he doesn't use that word. He uses a different word, which is translated when. And so it seems here that Jesus is assuming his disciples will be persecuted. In other words, we could say it this way. Jesus is saying it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Because all disciples of Jesus will be persecuted. This, of course, squares with Jesus' teaching in other places. We read it this morning in our scripture reading in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And of course, the Apostle Paul reiterates the teaching of the Lord Jesus when he declares in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So again, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And so it begs the question, how about you? How about me? We're going to talk a little, in a little bit about what persecution is and I know that we live in the West and we enjoy many freedoms and praise God that we are not threatened with prison or death because of our religious convictions. But are there any times in your life, even occasionally, when you experience opposition or belittling or snub because of your commitment to Jesus? If so, then Jesus tells us rejoice and we'll get to that in a few moments. But if not, then what does it reveal about your commitment to Jesus? What does it reveal about your discipleship? If the world hated Jesus, but always loves you, are you really keeping his words? Are you really his disciple? The second question is this. The first question is, is will disciples of Jesus be persecuted? And the answer is yes. The second question is this. Why will disciples of Jesus be persecuted? Why will disciples of Jesus be persecuted? There are two reasons given in our text. See the first one there in verse 10. Because of righteousness. And then the second reason in verse 11. Because of me. Now before we look at each one of these reasons. Just notice very quickly here. Why disciples of Jesus are not persecuted. 
Jesus does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being obnoxious. He does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being self-righteous or arrogant or rude. Neither does Jesus say, blessed are those who are persecuted for trolling social media so they can stir up controversy and fights. Right? Jesus doesn't say any of those things. And so we should recognize that not all persecution is valiant. Not all persecution is worthy of praise. Jesus says that his disciples will be persecuted for righteousness' sake and for him. Notice in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, blessed are those who do what is right in the eyes of God. Blessed are those who are honest in the workplace when everyone else believes a little dishonesty is necessary to make some money and get ahead. Blessed are those who don't laugh at crude jokes and don't lace all their speech with curse words in order to fit in with the guys. Blessed are those who don't accept their peers' assumption that sexual purity is passe and fight for purity in their minds and in their hearts and in their relationships. Blessed are those who don't just go along to get along and allow their children to determine what is morally acceptable in their home, but rather they lovingly and courageously teach their children the Bible and call them to obedience. In other words, blessed are those who do what is right in the eyes of God, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when they may face opposition. The Apostle Peter captures what Jesus is saying well here in uh, 1 Peter chapter verses 3 through 4. Listen to the way Peter states it. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Do you see what Peter is saying? Blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake. The world would have joined them in their flood of debauchery, but you refuse to do so, so they malign you. They malign you for righteousness sake, and you are blessed. So Jesus says that we will be persecuted for righteousness sake, but then notice Jesus also says we will be persecuted for his sake. Look there in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Here it is. On my account... Or it could be translated, on account of me, or because of me. So this is an important point to make. Those who are disciples of Jesus are persecuted not just for doing what is right, but for doing what is right as it relates to Jesus. For doing what is right as it relates to who He is, to His teaching and His commands. For doing what is right for the sake of Jesus' name. No doubt when Jesus says, on account of me or because of me, Jesus has in mind persecution that comes to us on account of our convictions about who he is. Persecution that comes to us as a result of his identity, who we believe him to be. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the apostles reiterate this truth in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. When they say, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, referring to the name of Jesus, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Of course, we know that many people today celebrate Jesus' teaching, even teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And they would be ready to recognize Jesus as a good moral teacher, as a philosopher, as a man that was far beyond his times. But then we start to talk about Jesus being a Savior, the Redeemer, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And those claims often met with scorn and opposition. And this is part of what Jesus has in mind when he says that persecution will come to his disciples, both for doing what is right for the sake of Jesus and for rightly confessing who Jesus is. Because the claims of Jesus are naturally offensive. The way in which Jesus speaks about himself is naturally offensive, referring to himself as the Son of God, claiming to be the Savior of the world. As Tim Keller has stated, the Christian pastor, he says, quote, If you know the real Jesus, you either will kill him or crown him. If you know the real Jesus, you either will kill him or crown him. Jesus' claims about himself do not allow for neutrality. And so whoever we claim Jesus to be, whether we reject him or whether we crown him, will obviously have significant implications for how we treat the followers of Jesus. So, why will we be persecuted as disciples of Jesus? We will be persecuted for righteousness' sake, and we will be persecuted for the sake of Jesus himself. The third question that we want to ask is it... Uh, relates to the disciple of Jesus and his relationship to persecution is what is persecution? What is persecution? Now, there are times, and we should acknowledge this, there are times when righteous living, even righteous living for the sake of Jesus, inspires the respect and admiration of others. Sometimes that happens even with non-Christians. But in a sinful world, righteous living is often met with opposition. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing in these verses. So notice that in these verses, just three verses, Jesus uses the word persecute three times. Look there in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted, righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word that is used here can be translated pursue, chase, harass, persecute. Jesus uses you three times in just these few verses. Many of us have been keeping up with the war that has been taking place between Russia and the Ukraine. And uh, some of you know this, but in the 90s, I had the opportunity to visit the Ukraine. And uh, I did a mission trip to Odessa, which has been in the news. It's one of the large port cities on the Black Sea. And as we were there in Odessa, we preached in the churches in the city, uh, a few of the churches, and we, uh, most of our time, we spoke at a youth camp during the week. And during the time that we were there, uh, the Ukrainians were still reveling in the independence that they had uh, not too long ago um, experienced from uh, being released from the oversight of the former Soviet Union. And they had many stories to tell about the persecution they had experienced under former communist rule. In fact, the pastor that we stayed with, he had been in prison several times for his faith and for his ministry. Uh, He told other stories of escape when authorities would come to the front door and his family would delay this. He slipped out the back window of the house. One of the 
unique opportunities that we had. And one of the ones that I think I'll always remember from the trip is uh, we were able to go into the catacombs that are uh, under the city. And so we walked up to kind of a, um, some rock and there was a small uh, slither in the rock where we slipped in. As we slipped in, it just opened up into caves and catacombs that seemed to go on and on and on. And as we were going through the catacombs, we had flashlights, we would stop periodically and we would see markings on the cave walls where the Christians had gathered under the city uh, to worship together and they would leave Christian markings on the walls under the city. There was one point where we turned out all of the flashlights and it was as dark as you can imagine. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face and we began to sing Christian hymns and you could hear those hymns resounding throughout the catacombs. It was incredible. It's remarkable to see as well, even today, the faith of so many Ukrainian Christians. I know the Gospel Coalition over the last few weeks has been running stories on Ukrainian Christians and pastors and so forth, and they're reporting uh, from the situation they find themselves in now. I read an article this last week from one Ukrainian pastor, and he pastors a church of approximately 1,000 people in a town near Kiev, which is the capital of the Ukraine. He and his wife are raising four daughters and they have decided to stay where they're at to continue to minister to the people there in the church. Another uh, report came from a, a Ukrainian pastor. This was a video in which he was asked, what have you learned through these difficult days as the country is being attacked and there's the possibility of persecution in the future? And he responded by saying that he, had, he, he can capture what he's learned in one word, and the one word is Emmanuel. God is with us. God is with me. He's with me here and now, even in the face of this danger. And so it's inspiring as we look out and see our brothers and sisters all over the globe who are suffering persecution in various ways. Living in the West, we're tempted to think that, well, maybe there's not that much persecution going on today, not that much serious persecution, but we would be very wrong. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering terribly all around the world. In fact, it has been estimated that in the last hundred years or so, there have been more martyrs for the sake of Christ than in all other centuries combined. Let me state that again. It has been estimated that in the last hundred years or so, there have been more martyrs for the sake of Christ than all the other centuries combined. In fact, there has been no time in history where Christians are giving their lives for the sake of Christ than even in our own day. So this persecution is happening, and it's happening all over the world. Serious persecution. But something Jesus says here, I think, is also important for us to hear in our own context, for us to see. The persecution, notice here, that Jesus speaks of, yes, it includes beatings, and it includes torture, and it includes death, and all of these horrible things that we hear of other brothers and sisters in Christ suffering around the world. But notice that Jesus says it's not limited to imprisonment or physical harm or death. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and do utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do you see what Jesus has done there? Notice that in the category of persecution, for Jesus, persecution includes reviling, it includes utterances of evil, it includes false accounts, or we could say lies. And if we're honest, this is probably more in line with the type of persecution that you or I might experience. Family members might ridicule us. 
classmates might snub us. We might be overlooked for a promotion at work because we don't fit into the work culture that is crude and immoral. We might be maligned on social media. We might be accused of hate speech. We might be kicked off a campus or excluded from a club. Any of these things might happen because we confess that Jesus is alive and he is able to save because we're committed to doing what is right in the eyes of God. Because we stand, for example, for a biblical sexual ethic. Meaning that God created male and female. And that sexuality is to be expressed in the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. Any of these things in our own day might invite the persecution, the reviling, the evil utterances and false accusations of others. And this is part of what it means to follow Jesus faithfully, and to experience persecution. Four, the fourth question. How should a disciple of Jesus respond to persecution? How should a disciple of Jesus respond to persecution? Look in chapter 5, verse 12, and we see the answer there. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Now, of course, that's shocking. And, and, and we should... We should note here that, that it's not to say that the one who is persecuted will not experience pain or grief or sorrow. Of course they will, and that's appropriate. But Jesus insists here that simultaneously a disciple can and even should experience a supernatural joy. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul says. In fact, the Apostle Paul captures it very well as he describes his own ministry as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. One of the most well-known examples of joyful suffering in the Bible is found in Acts chapter 5. Some of you know the story. The apostles are arrested for preaching the gospel in the temple, and they are brought before the Sanhedrin, which was like the judicial body of uh, Judaism at that time. And as they are brought before the Sanhedrin, they answer the Sanhedrin's questions. And then, in answering their questions, they also share the gospel with the Sanhedrin. And in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 42, we read, They, that is the Sanhedrin, beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, here it is, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So how are we to respond when we experience persecution, when we are snubbed, when we are ridiculed, when we are mocked, when we are belittled? Jesus says we should rejoice and be glad. And how can we do that? Well, we need to acknowledge that it is truly supernatural. It's a gift of God's grace for us to respond in that way. But Jesus goes on to provide us with reasons why we should rejoice and be glad. And that leads us to our fifth and final question. Five, or fifth, what does the disciple of Jesus receive for being persecuted? What does the disciple of Jesus receive for being persecuted? And here we see a threefold answer, okay? The threefold answer is blessing, reward, and authentication. Notice the first thing that the disciple of Jesus receives for persecution is blessing. In fact, we could say it's a double blessing. In verse 10 we read, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then look at verse 11. Blessed are you 
See, it's a double blessing. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you faultfully on my account. Of course, we know from our series that to be blessed means to be the recipient of God's favor, to be the recipient of His approval. And the grand affirmation that the persecuted one has received God's favor and His approval is that he or she receives the kingdom of heaven. A. Carson says, quote, Far from being a depressing prospect, their suffering under persecution, which has been prompted by their righteousness, becomes a triumphant sign that the kingdom is theirs, end of quote. And so we can rest assured that when we are persecuted for the sake of Jesus, when we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, that God's blessing rests upon us. The, the second, though, thing that we receive as disciples of Jesus for being persecuted is a reward. A reward. Look there in verse 12. Jesus says, Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Jesus is telling us here that temporal suffering will one day finally give way to eternal reward and glory. So the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. John Piper says at that point that Jesus wills for us to desire heaven more than earth. Therefore, we must do what we can to get our hearts in heaven. And that is so true. We see this actually played out in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is preaching the gospel and he's being persecuted for his proclamation of who Jesus is. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55 and 56, we read, But he, that is Stephen, was full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So even as he's being persecuted, Stephen is granted a glimpse of the reward that will be his. The reward is standing before him. It is Jesus in heaven at the right hand of God. And then they begin to stone Stephen. Verses 59 and 60 we read, And as they were stoning him, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so Stephen, though stoned, is blessed. Because his reward was in heaven. His reward he was able to even see, even as he was giving his life for the sake of Christ. His reward was Jesus himself. The third thing that we receive as disciples, if we are persecuted, is authentication. Authenticity or authentication. That's kind of a strange word, but look at verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Here it is. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we've seen, believers are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Believers are persecuted for the sake of Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here is, therefore, they are in good company because Jesus says the Old Testament prophets received the same treatment. In many ways, this brings us back to where we started this morning. 
Sometimes some folks think that they love and they admire Jesus and his teachings and even the Beatitudes until they actually meet someone who embodies them. And then they're irritated, frustrated, put off, offended. And you see, Jesus is drawing a parallel here, right? Because the Jews in his day, they celebrated, they honored Moses and Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah. But Jesus is reminding them that in the prophet's own day, that their fathers, the fathers of the religious leaders, they persecuted and reviled and harassed and falsely accused all the prophets. And so if we truly desire to be faithful as they were, we too will be opposed. But Jesus assures us this is not reason to be discouraged, but rather reason to rejoice. Because we are in good company. In fact, the persecution you encounter authenticates, it verifies that you are the real deal. That you're following a line of the Old Testament prophets. That you're walking in the way of Jesus. That you're a citizen of the kingdom. That you're a disciple of Jesus himself. So yes, all Christians at one level will be persecuted. They will be persecuted for righteousness. And they will be persecuted for the sake of Jesus. And that persecution can take many forms. It can be physical harm. It could also be reviling and opposing. But we should not be discouraged. Rather, we should rejoice. Because we are blessed. And our reward in heaven is great. And the persecution that comes upon us, in fact, verifies and authenticates that we are truly disciples of Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to salvation and redemption. And Lord, we recognize that this call upon our lives does bear with it a call to suffer as well. Lord, help us in the various trials and difficulties of life, especially as we face opposition for righteousness' sake. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. And we pray, even as we are faithful to you, that you would supernaturally work in our own hearts so that we might rejoice, that we might find joy even in suffering, that we might glorify you, knowing the great reward that is ours to come. So, Lord, take your word now, and we pray that you would apply it to our hearts. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.